Welcome to the five things this week in social. Uh, we're going to bring you a little of this and a little of that from around the platforms you pretend not to be on when you're on a Zoom call with your boss. We'll make this quick so you can get back to Tiger King season two. Amanda's ready. Tommy Boyce is raring. And we are here. Hello, squad. Hello. I am personally not watching Tiger King 2, Joey. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Just wait. Uh, I'm Joey Scarillo. Here are the five things. All right. Uh, first up, Tommy is going to talk about TikTok adding Disney characters to its text-to-speech and voice effects features. Uh, Amanda is going to break down Twitter, who um, apparently is looking to enter the NFT and crypto space. Uh, then Amanda is going to talk to us about YouTube dropping the thumbs down button. And then also Amanda is going to get into Instagram, who reportedly is working on adding moderators to their lives and likes. And lastly, Tommy will talk to us about Facebook removing thousands of sensitive ad targeting categories. All right, let's do it. Tommy, you're up first. Tell us about TikTok. Yes, we have some big news in text-to-speech features this week. First, Disney has announced a new partnership with TikTok, allowing users to choose from a range of Disney character voices for its text-to-speech feature. Instead of the normal voices provided by the app, users can choose from characters like Stitch, CP3O, or Rocket Raccoon instead. An interesting thing about this feature, though, is that you actually have to unlock character voices. Users start with only one voice available, and then unlock the others by using keywords in videos that use the feature. So it's a fun little scavenger hunt with voices trying to figure out what keywords actually unlock, you know, um, a Stormtrooper or CP3O. This is in the first partnership between TikTok and Disney. There was the Disney Influencer Program that launched a few months back. But this certainly is a notable one. And the fact that Disney, in all of its largeness and power and mouseness, is creating a relationship with TikTok over other apps is just another indication of the power that TikTok has. The platform recently projected that by 2022, 1.5 billion, with a B, users will join the app. And it's just, again, it's TikTok's world. We're living in it. And we're going to see how this partnership develops. Another uh, announcement in text-speech features is that Instagram actually just announced its own feature on Reels. An interesting note. Instagram announced this the day before the TikTok partnership. So TikTok may have just kind of taken their thunder in the text-to-speech arena. Text-to-speech is a really great feature, I think, not just because of the accessibility it provides, but also it's become a meme in itself and it's a real driver for content. So it makes sense for Insta to finally add this to their own platform. But I think this is another case of Instagram trying to catch up to TikTok and the clock app is again being two or one steps ahead. I think it's telling that Instagram is really trying to connect with younger audiences, but is going about it through, let's say, borrowing TikTok features and doing some pretty cringy messaging on other social platforms. That's not just an Insta thing, but a meta thing as a whole. And I think in order to get young audiences they're hungry for, instant Facebook needs to be leading the next wave of innovations, not just following in other platforms' footsteps. And hey, maybe the metaverse is just the way to do that. Dare I say it's a whole new world? Huh? Huh? Um, so Amanda, a uh, question for you. Do you think this move from Disney and TikTok uh, is a trend or a response maybe to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago with NBC and NBC Universal and Snap? 
Yeah, it's definitely a way to bring, especially these very, very avid fans of Disney into the TikTok world. And I think the um, kind of scavenger hunt of it all is so interesting. And as I've never really seen something gamified like that. So I think adding in, um, almost, it's almost like a reward system. The more that you use it, the more that you, um, you know, receive from it. It kind of reminds me too of, of Snapchat's snap streaks. Ooh, that phrase was hard. But uh, basically making an incentive for people to keep using it, especially, again, a very engaged fan base like the Disney fan base is with a behavior that's already being used so much on the platform. So I think it's brilliant and I think it will like absolutely take off. So Tommy, you mentioned uh, reels in the story about TikTok. Uh, should we assume that if something happens on TikTok, it will happen on Reels as well? I think so at this point. I mean, Reels is staying in TikTok's shadow for, I, I was going to say for better, for worse. I think it's for worse, honestly. Um, it really does seem like the platform is trying to ape and take the best parts of TikTok and hasn't really seen the same traction as a whole. So I think if you see it on TikTok, give it a couple of months or maybe shorter, depending on how quick they are at Reels, and you're going to see it show up there. Interesting. All right. Well, we certainly will be keeping an eye on that. Let's jump over to Twitter. Uh, Amanda, tell us about this race to NFT and crypto. This is really exciting. Twitter has announced that they've hired a new crypto engineering lead um, as they begin to incorporate more blockchain, cryptocurrency, and NFT technology throughout the app. Um, so this new team, who is led by Tess Renierson, who is really well-known figure in crypto, um, cryptocurrency and blockchain technology is going to be overseeing a lot of different projects. Um, it's still really early on and, and honestly not worth diving too deep into them, but just to mention some of the ways that this might apply. Um, new payment options, so decentralized uh, payment methods through cryptocurrency, things like uh, tipping content creators or subscribing to services on the platform. They've also been working on, allegedly, um, new NFT display tools that will let you upload NFTs directly from your digital wallet to be your Twitter icon. So especially when you think of the way that NFTs are used right now in a little bit of like a, a, a status symbol or something that you want to show off, at least it's a really smart way to incorporate that into the platform. The same way that you would upload from your desktop, you can now upload from your um, blockchain wallet. They've been talking a lot about something that they haven't really defined called Blue Sky, which is their initiative to... I think their quote is decentralized social media. Um, there's not a lot known about this, but we have been talking about Twitter's slow roll into this uh, world of Web3 and decentralization. And they really, while not connecting themselves directly to a metaverse platform the way that Facebook has, they really are carving out their niche as what does social media look like in this new world. So it's really interesting. And, and I think too, it's a this particular um, investment for Twitter right now is also when you think about um, one of the most important pillars of a metaverse is a self-sufficient creator economy. So creators that exist in a metaverse-like space that's fully digital that can support, create, and have access to the same materials and audiences. Twitter is kind of um, hedging itself to be there while still avoiding the metaverse word and, and kind of buzz that goes with it. Um, but they're definitely carving out a space for them there. And last thing I'll say is I think this is also important to talk about right now, as in this week, because our relationships as as brands and marketers with creators is going to keep um, changing. You know, it, we come from a history where a creator may benefit a lot from working with a brand, reaching new audiences, getting, you know, monetary support. But 
the trajectory that we've seen is going to continue where brands and creators will continue to be partners and kind of try to achieve the same things together versus something that could have been seen as, as like a, a power dynamic before. Very interesting for the Bird app. So will this make uh, NFTs and cryptos more accessible or more confusing? What's your take, Tommy? I think it'll make it a lot more accessible. Um, I personally think that Twitter is, you know, Amanda said it too, like you need the self-sustaining creator economy. And I think Twitter is the place for that to happen most effectively. I think it's everything's a lot more simplified on Twitter by virtue of it coming, I think, from a place of a just copy and then adding pictures, adding video, adding audio spaces. So I think NFTs and crypto can be a pretty confusing concept, uh, even for people who are in the know, because there's just so many levels to it. And so, I mean, I look at an NFT, I'm still like, why can't I just uh, click right, save as, and own it? Why is there a whole rigmarole about ownership? But I think Twitter making these spaces specifically for this sort of back and forth and this ownership. I also saw that they're gonna, yeah, they're gonna change the shape of your profile if you have an NFT to really cement the ownership of property on the website. So I think it's just little things like this that are really gonna make it, it's just a lot easier of a user experience as we navigate Web3 and start to enter it full force. Very, very interesting. Um, all right, let's jump over to YouTube now, um, who uh, ditched the thumbs down button. Um, Amanda, why don't you tell us about that? YouTube is getting rid of the dislike button. And maybe I'm toxic, but I kind of got sad. I just feel like that's part of YouTube and it's part of what we know as YouTube. Um, but let me clarify too, they're getting rid of the public version of the dislike button. So it won't be shown on the screen um, unless you are a creator or a brand that uploaded it. Um, because they do want to make sure there, if if a viewer does have constructive criticism, one might say, that you are able to get that feedback. Um, and again, this is after earlier this year, YouTube experimented with hiding the dislike numbers on videos um, and also obviously comes after Instagram removed the like counts on its photos. So we're seeing a lot of shifts into kind of privacy around, especially places where this may be abused or used incorrectly. The funniest part of this story to me, though, is... Do you guys know what the most disliked video in YouTube's history is? We do, but tell it us. Is, yeah, we do. The most disliked video on the entire site is from the company itself. It's its rewind video from 2018, uh, which I, at time of this recording has 19 million, and I do not recommend going there and adding to it. I'm just calling that out as not an important takeaway, but just a little bit funny. So an alternative argument, though, on this too is that a lot of people feel like the public dislike feature, like knowing that when you click a video, if, if perhaps it's it's pretty widely disliked, might stop you from spending too much time watching a video that isn't helpful or isn't what it says it is or isn't truthful or doesn't provide the value that it you, you may think as you start. Um, so there's two sides of the coin. I think overall, you know, it won't be too missed. Um, and I think this is also a test. So we'll see if this stays this way. But it's a big change. End of an era of the dislike thumbs down button. Well, you you both may not know this, but you're talking to somebody who worked on one of the most disliked ads of all time on uh, YouTube for a while, at least. Um, you can look it up. I'm sure anybody who knows anything about Gray will figure out what I'm talking about. Um, but what my question is, is, is this good for brands? Because while, you, you know, brands, you know, with their public image, when they put videos up, people won't get to show the thumbs down. They'll know on the back end. Or does the thumbs down sort of act as a, a check and balance for brands and what they're putting out there 
into the world. So Tommy, what do you think? Like, how does this affect uh, the brands we work with? I think this is actually a net negative for both brands and people who participate on YouTube as a whole. I'm going to miss the thumbs down button. I think, um, I think if you remove the thumbs down, it takes away both, like, if things should, the YouTube rewind video, to take an example, was not very good. I would call it that, actually. Um, and I think users reflected that. They they might have been a bit mean and thumbsing it down 19 million times, but like it serves a purpose. I think if you don't sort out, not all content is good. Not all ads are good. I think it serves as a way to keep both creators and advertisers to task. If you make content that isn't great or that the public doesn't want, they're going to check you for it. And I think maybe like without having bad content, there isn't so much of a thing as great content too. So I think that, I don't know, I'm going to miss it. I'm worried that it's sort of going to become a sort of like say so nether space where nothing really floats to the top or the bottom because it's all thumbs up and all positivity. And I think the internet does need a certain amount of negativity. Yeah. I'm not saying that we should all pile on thumbsing down comments, but it, it's kind of needed to keep this space moving. The platform should reflect the real sentiment. I agree, Tommy. Yeah, maybe we need more dislike buttons on all the platforms. No, just kidding. Um, all right, let's jump over to Instagram. Um, they're reportedly working on adding moderators uh, to lives and likes to stories. So Amanda, why don't you tell us what that means? Lives to likes and likes to stories. <laughs> That's crazy. So Instagram is reportedly adding moderators to lives, as Joey mentioned, which basically means that when a user is going live, they can identify a person who is in the audience that will act as a moderator and manage the comment section, um, you know, remove requests to go live or questions, which are separate from the comments. And this is especially crucial when you think about Instagram live and the way that it's structured. I think the UX on Instagram live creates a truncated chat function. So it's really hard for people who are going live to keep up with um, what their audience is saying. So this is very much needed and something that's been happening for a while on platforms like Twitch, where there is a bit more of a dialogue between the live streamer and the audience. So this is a really clear move for Instagram to attract more of these creators and people that they want to make live content on the platform. They also want to create safer conversation and more relevant conversation in the platform. Um, I think it's a good move. And I think it will also attract, uh, again, creators that whether they're gaming creators or um, lifestyle vloggers from YouTube or Twitch, it, it's a game to try to get new people into the platform for sure. In addition, this new update looks like it will also be adding the ability to like an Instagram story. So while these might not show up on public view of other people's Instagram stories, the creator will be able to see if someone has liked that content and what's also weird is as it stands right now, a user can multiple like an Instagram story, which is a confusing metric, I'm going to be honest. And again, this is very early on and it hasn't been formally rolled out yet, but we should keep an eye on how this works. And if there are ways that we can use that metric to you know, garner a little bit of uh, more personal data around the way that people are consuming the content. Yeah, that is really interesting considering I remember talk about Instagram maybe getting rid of the like button on the posts. So now adding it to the stories is really interesting. Uh, Tommy, would you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, the adding likes to stories, um, I'm not quite sure how 
we would use that coming forward. I think also the ability to like multiple times is just how do you measure? Is there like one stand is going to like your video multiple times and it kind of misreads the actual level of engagement? I don't know. Uh, I'm interested to see how people will take advantage of it. And I think as far as moderation goes for stories, I think it's a great feature. Um, I remember watching Adele's recent uh, story, or not story, her live stream, which was, first of all, amazing, Stan Adele, but also she was having a really rough go navigating Instagram Live. It can be a confusing platform if you're not used to it. And I think having a moderator, having you know an assistant or an intern to help her comb through comments or people to uh, talk with on the live could help the experience for like celebrities, people who are new to the platform get in. I think it's just a, a good feature overall. Yes. All right, let's jump into Meta. Tommy, tell us about um, what their plans are to remove thousands of sensitive ad targeting categories. Yeah, so this is a big one. Um, Meta, the artist formerly known as Facebook, has announced that they are removing advertisers' ability to target people with promotions based on their interactions with content related to health, race, ethnicity, political affiliation, religion, sexual orientation, and thousands of other topics. The change will start on January 19th and will affect Facebook, Instagram, and Messenger. In other words, you won't be able to target your ads based on topics like like World's Diabetes Day or other health causes, and you won't be able to hone in on elements related to sexual orientation, political beliefs, and more. The company stated that it's making this change to limit the way that its targeting tools can be abused. In the past, these features have been used to discriminate against people or to span them with unwanted messaging. This is a really major change for the platform. It's relied on targeted advertising for the bulk of its revenue and has traditionally allowed advertisers to personalize promotions and aim ads at users who are interested in topics like you know, LGBTQ culture or religion. And this is a major change for several reasons. Advertisers have really gotten used to the ability to target specific identities on meta platforms. And these targeted ads have traditionally performed better than ads aimed at a broader audience. We'll still be able to use custom targeting on the platforms, but this will have a major impact on brands who emphasize, you know, cause-based marketing, something that younger consumers really respond to. I think this change does make sense. The company's had several scandals over things like advertisers using targeting tools to direct promotions for body armor, gun holsters, and rifles at far-right militia groups. And it's in line with the recent removal of the platform removing facial recognition technology. And I see this like the removal of that technology as Meta trying to remove any negative baggage attached to Facebook in order to properly rebrand it in time for its Metaverse expansion. I think it'll be interesting to see how we kind of adapt this new change and how users behave on the platform due to this new removal. Yeah, so definitely great for the user. Um, Amanda, what do you think this means for marketers, both of brands, like really big brands, and for marketers of that are, you know, manage small businesses? I don't think this will be too much of a huge change. And I will be honest, if we were perhaps 10 or 15 years ago, this might really impact marketing plans and the way that we target audiences. Um, but I, I do think that most, uh, brands and marketers have shifted into more of a psychographic marketing approach that are understanding why people make decisions, um, stages of life, uh, sales interests, different parts of the, the marketing funnel that might make sense for those people beyond what could be 
a superficial lens, which is seemingly what um, Facebook seems to remove from that. So I think it's smart. I think it makes sense. And for brands that might have trouble shifting into the way that they will need to shift their plans, it, it will probably be for the best, but we'll see. We shall see. We will see. Um, thank you both for uh, joining us this week. This was a quick one, but a good one. Um, if you don't already, be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, you can email us at podcasts at gray.com. Thanks to Amanda. Thanks to Tommy for joining us. Thanks to Danielle and Guy behind the scenes. And thank you, listener. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.